Okay, good morning. So uh, last we left off, uh, I think we kind of walked through the family tree on uh, your grandparents, both uh, mother and father. We kind of walked through that. And I think we can kind of pick up. So your parents uh, have been married. They've opened up a bakery, um, brand new newlyweds, and I think you've got some siblings. So tell me a little bit. Yeah, I, I had seven of them. Six that I know and remember because uh, one of them died. But anyway, my oldest sibling is my sister, Ria, and uh, she was born in 1921, August 1921. And, uh, uh, of course, that was a long way before me, and uh, uh, she went through school when well, mom was still young, and uh, when she got out of school, Ria kind of ended up taking mom's place for the store so that she was running the store, more or less, and I think she was 14 when she got in there. and. Uh, uh, she got the routine. It, it takes a certain uh, knowledge, you know. You at fourteen, you still have to learn a lot. Mm. And uh, but she did a perfect job. She really liked it, and it seemed that the customers liked her a lot. And uh, so that part was taken care of. And soon enough. The second one came, and that was well, going back to your oldest sister. What was she like? Was she a happy person, sad person? Smart? She was. Uh -huh. My older sister was kind of serious. She she never joked much. She may have with customers, mm -hmm. but to me, she almost acted like a mother. Okay. Yeah. Because she was, well, maybe she, but she was that much older. Uh, I think there's a, a nine, ten years difference, right. more than that. But anyway, uh, yeah, she was, she was nice, uh, and uh, she was. When uh, we all played together, like on on a Sunday when there was nothing doing, she was the same as the rest. So how how sorry was it? You said ten years between you and your sister. Yeah, she was nineteen twenty one, and I was nineteen thirty one. Yeah. But she was uh, August the 13th and I was December the 26th. Right. So it, it is uh, a August. big gap when you're that young. Yeah. Okay. So, and she was, uh, and, and that is when I was born. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got old enough to know that is my sister, you know, yeah. but it takes a few years mm -hmm. before you start remembering. Right. And so I must have been about four years old. And uh, when we were playing something, we all played together, mm -hmm. but uh, they took the, the lead in it, and I always got a role. It's almost like you have a stage play. Yeah. And, uh, and you were like the tree in a play, and she was uh, yeah. an actress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah more, more or less. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> uh, 
you know, is there anything that she, like, I know she took care of the store, so she was, you know, from 14, she's running the business. Do you have any hobbies or any, like, musical instruments, anything like that you, you, you can remember from her being interested in? No, I, all I remember uh, later on, when she got older, uh, she got a boyfriend, mm. and uh, and then the war broke out, and the boyfriend was from a, a family, and there was this man. He lived on the outskirts of the village, near where the forest starts. Was big cattle field, mm -hmm. and then the forest. And this man, he had thirteen kids. Wow! All thirteen were boys. <laughs> and his uh, his wife died with the youngest boy. So the oldest guy took it upon himself to take the place of the mother mm -hmm. and he was running the cook and the yeah. kitchen and the laundry and mm -hmm. you know he really took right over and then uh, that was low it was the oldest and then you had Frank Franz and that was my sister's boyfriend okay. they well he came in for cigarettes or whatever and uh, or buying a loaf of bread or uh, usually two because a too big a family one loaf wouldn't do hardly for one meal but anyway he uh, they got to be good friends and you know how those go those five chips and uh, when the war broke out with all those boys around and living where they were the old man knew of a Jewish family and he hid them because by uh, being Jewish in the war, Hitler and Jews, you know how it goes. Now, were they Jewish, the family themselves? No, no, they okay. were just yeah. regular farming family like yeah. the rest of the village. But uh, he felt that he, a duty, he, yeah. Yeah. he could afford, he had a room and they lived out, they had a last house. It's like the end of the rail, yeah. like when I was in Fort Church, in Churchill, there's the end of the railroad. You can't go any further. Yeah. The state comes up and boom. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was quite safe to look after this family, yeah. husband, the wife, and two or three kids. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that the Jews did not get any coupons because they're not supposed to be there. They are not. Uh, coupons, you're talking about food coupons, right? Pardon? When you say coupons, you're talking about food coupons? Rations, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. They, uh, they didn't get any, so to get the, the basics, well, veggies and stuff, he could go. Mm -hmm. But family needs other things and you, uh, you can't grow them in the garden. And so he had to kind of look after five people that didn't have a job, didn't have, didn't have anything except a lot of fear, yeah. and rightly so. And he took it upon himself, we can look after them. Yeah. Uh, so, and the boys, uh, they were not 
the scariest kind, you know. They, they, they were not the scared kind, they, they were some hefty farm boys. So anyway, uh, they started to smuggle and they, once in a while, they killed a, a, a cow or a calf and they uh, say one of the cows gets a calf and uh, if it is a bull calf, they feed it, feed it, feed it to get some meat on it, then they slaughter it. And, but they didn't make any bread, but my dad did. And they came in and Franz was the one who actually fed more at home at our place. Wow. And he would love to come in the back to get more or less uh, uh, kind with my dad because he was going out with his daughter. That's right. And uh, and he said, uh, Willems, uh, have a look at this. And he comes in through the back door in the bakery and behind or beside the oven near the back door. He opens this burlap bag and out comes this, this uh, it's like a, a pillowcase and it's got a big hunk of meat in there. Mm. Hey Willems, uh, how much, how much bread can I get for this meat? Mm -hmm. Well, we, could, we couldn't get that hunk of meat in a whole month for our coupons that we had for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was, that was, uh, well, uh, so they made a deal, uh, however many loaves that he gets for that chunk of meat. And, uh, Williams, don't worry, there is more where that came from. So he had a bit of a steady supply for as long as the war is going to last. Mm. For me to come in uh, and other things that they managed to wheel a deal because they were, Wheeler dealers, if there ever was one, was their trade later on too. And uh, so my dad takes this big chunk of meat with the pillowcase around it in the kitchen and mom says, where did you get that? Yeah, well, uh, Franz Albert was in and he, uh, he left this here and uh, I have to get so many loaves of bread and uh, we could get more of this. But where did he get it? I didn't ask, but he said there is more where that came from. So don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. yeah. So he uh, said, "Yeah, but how are you gonna do it? Because uh, is he gonna eat our bread?" No, no, no. He says, "Don't worry about it." Because every time when he has fifty loaves of bread, and they were all four pounders, you know, like they're big loaves of bread. Right. And uh, the ones in the store here are only half size. And uh, he would, they sit there to rise under the cover mm. and as they get bigger and just before they're ready to be shaped and put yeah. in the pan, he goes along there and he know oh, that one and that one and that He knew which loaf was for whom they, they, were, yeah. they were already ordered or made and they just needed baking or something. And he would just pinch a little piece off and of each one. Mm -hmm. And that made a loaf of bread. Yeah. Nobody could tell that that pinch came off because yeah. on, the, on, the, on the four pounder, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that is how he managed 
to get more, to get some bread that he could uh, give to France for his meat. Yeah. And that went on all during the war. Mm-hmm. And then the could, time... Just to clarify, your dad just couldn't bake an extra loaf and no one would notice. Well, uh, uh, well, no, there's uh, uh, a lot of people uh, had uh, farmers. Mm-hmm. They had uh, uh, grain, uh, flour, yeah. uh, because they couldn't uh, control yeah, that. But they had it ground at, uh, at the windmill yeah. and they bring it home. So they make the dough at home. They have the milk and whatever they want to put in it, yeah. but they don't have the oven, they don't have... Gotcha. The, the, the tin, so they bring it in and uh, my dad would write the names of all the different people oh, that okay. brought that dough yeah. to have it baked and we put that ticket in so that they get their own dough. Mm-hmm. And some of them were uh, a bit suspicious about it because uh, uh, are we getting our own loaf back? It doesn't look so good. Well, of course, it doesn't look so good because if you don't mix it properly, mm-hmm. you you can't expect a, a loaf that you get from the bakery. Right. And uh, so some of them would put a nickel or a dime or a quarter in the dough. Oh. <laughs> uh, and uh, because I had at one time when you bring the you know deliver the bread and uh, how uh, how come we didn't get our own loaf back. Don't you mark them down? Well, the, the, that marks them down because the ticket is still in the in the end of the loaf. Well, yeah, but that doesn't mean anything that you can write that on any loaf. I know that we didn't get ours back because I told the kids, let me know who gets the quarter. They get to keep it. And they're all crazy to get that quarter. And they put the quarter in that dough because that was the proof that they got their, their loan back. Yeah. I said, by golly, then I might as well give you the quarter because I thought that's dirty. The, uh, how did that quarter get in this this dough? You know, the money is dirty, really. Mm-hmm. And you don't put a dirty quarter. And however, the quarter somehow may have gotten in the workbench and as you shape it, the quarter gets in there, mm-hmm. so when it comes falling out, as you shape it, I put it in my pocket, and uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. But uh, uh, I no, I'm absolutely sure that is your bread. No, it's okay. And we had lots of times that we had uh, coins yeah. in in a dough. But anyhow. That dough was not rationed because they made from their own grain yep. that they grew and that they kept on the side. And every once in a while, they have that extra loaf. Yeah, they get that. And so four, my four dad could seven eighths pound loaf back. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, on a on a tree so full with plums, yeah. uh, one or two plums you will never miss. Yeah. So that little pinch didn't matter. And it was not ration, so they wouldn't come and weigh it. If the control came in, your loaves had to be so heavy. So if they weigh the dough, it has to weigh a bit more than the baked loaf because 
of the evaporation of the moisture in the dough. And uh, so, uh, but that did not apply to, to those. Anyway, that's what my, my dad would make a loaf, and it was mixed with, with, with everything. It was whole grain, it was all white. Uh, some of them put even a handful of rye flour in it to make bulk like, yeah. or they like rye, whatever. And, uh, but yeah, that was. Uh, so that's how you got your, your meat supplement. That's what we, that's how we bartered, yeah. or my dad, yeah. he bartered. Uh, bread for meat or if they wanted something out of the store mm -hmm. but then he had to deal again with somebody else everything was bartering yeah. like underground it was all underground so ultimately what happened with the the jewish family and and well we they were there yeah. and uh and and they they never got caught oh. they right through the war uh the, they were never caught but they had the hideouts in the forest, mm -hmm. and if if they ever did come to their place, they had a, a place in the in the barns to hide them. But if they saw the razia coming, they call a razia when uh, they came in to hunt for Jewish people mm -hmm. or for the the young guys that were of army age, right. and they had gone. Pardon? Draft dodgers. Yeah, draft dodgers. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, draft dodgers. Yeah, draft dodgers. Uh, and uh, we had a, a helper in the bakery who was a draft dodger, yeah. but he was a baker's son, and that's why he was fantastic for a help in the bakery, mm -hmm. and he was hidden at the same time. So, uh, uh, Ria. She ended up. End up meeting up with Franz, or did yeah, she got, and then uh, Franz had a package of cigarettes that was pre-war that he kept for quite a while, but he didn't want to keep it at home, and because you know with, with thirteen boys, uh, yeah. don't trust the brothers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not when you have real tobacco mm -hmm. from before the war, so. Uh, Ria, can you uh, save this? Can you hide it here somewhere? And Ria knew where to put it, so uh, there was no problem. But then they caught Franz and his brother, Helm, and they were picked up and uh, for smuggling, and they brought them to the concentration camp in Omme, mm -hmm. in the north. And usually when you went there, you didn't come back. And there was this pack of cigarettes, and Ria had that, and she knew that, and, uh, and, and, and always Franz, she didn't hear from him, that you can't write. Yeah. And he couldn't write, he was in there. And uh, uh, oh, one week goes into a month, and that goes into two months, and. Well, when you're young, two months is a long stretch. And uh, meanwhile, she is in the store as always, and her future husband, he came in the store to buy a pack of cigarettes, but they were 
the recent ones, you know, the ones that he had coupons for. And uh, he was wearing, uh, he was going to seminary to become a priest. And he was doing his holidays and he wanted to pack a cigarette, so he came in the store. That's why my sister never saw him. He was in the seminary. Mm. But when they came for holidays and they got to talk, and then I think he, and I know he must have felt how he felt, so, uh, by golly, I like that last battle than the one that I'm wearing. Uh, <laughs> so they get friendly and they get more friendly and it seemed, <laughs> it seemed that he was smoking more and more all the time because we're coming for more. And finally, my sister thought, well, Franz isn't going to come back because he has been in Omino for I don't know how long. And uh, I'll give Pete, Pete was the, the priest guy, and uh, I'll give Pete these cigarettes. That ought to make him happy. And, uh, well, you never know, because the, the, the candle burn on both sides, let's say. So uh, he gave those cigarettes to Pete, and he was in seventh heaven because he never had a cigarette like that for the longest time mm -hmm. because of the war. He couldn't get any decent cigarettes anymore. And uh, it was not too long after, maybe another couple of three months, and Franz came back. They let him go oh, okay. out of the concentration camp, him and his brother. And he was shaved bald. He was just as bald as a beagle. Mm -hmm. And uh, his eyes, his, like right back in the eye sockets, mm -hmm. he was skinny and you, you know, like when you see those uh, pictures from people in the concentration camp, he could be one of them that they took pictures of right. to show what life was like in the car. It was scary. I saw him, I felt, of course I liked Franz, he was a hell of a nice guy. And uh, uh, so he, uh, uh, after a while he he came in the store and uh, I was really so Ria said, uh, well, uh, I'm glad that you got out but I didn't think you were going to come back because it took so long and it took so long. And then Pete came in, he was home for holidays and he came in for some cigarettes and I sold him some cigarettes. And uh, the next thing I know, he said he wasn't going to go back to the seminary and well, we started to go out. And, uh, and I gave him your cigarettes because well, I don't smoke, he said, but uh, uh, I wanted to do him a favor and I gave him. Mm. So you gave him, first he steals my girl and then he takes my cigarettes. Yeah. And she felt bad, but there, there, there were no cigarettes. She could not replace him with anything else. And uh, so he was quite sore about it. Funny thing, I saw Franz in 1978, the first time I went for holidays. And I was on a bike going to the next village to my friend and I meet him in town just past the church 
And he gets off his bike and he looks at me, Albert? I said, yeah. Well, that's a long time. So he comes up and, yeah, I remember, and I remember this, remember that. And, uh, well, we were talking for quite a while. And he says, you know, what happened? And then he told me the story yeah. about those cigarettes. Yeah. And I said, well, Franz, that, was, that wasn't fair, but I didn't know about it. I said, and even if I had, there was nothing I could do about it. But I, I said, I'm sorry. I feel very bad that she did it. I can understand what motivated her, because yeah. well, somebody that they'll answer. Uh, so I just left it at that, and we talked for a while and went our own ways. And he got married and. Uh, I don't know if he had any kids, but he was seemed quite happy. It was the same Franz that I knew from the war years. And then, of course, right after the war, I didn't see him because I went to the seminary. And uh, uh, that was that was Rhea. Then we had so so Rhea. Did she end up marrying Pete? She married Pete. Okay. And they had. Two kids with a third one, she died. Mm -hmm. And we were married in 1957 in June. And in August of 57, she died because she should have gone to the doctor, but oh, everything is fine, nothing to worry about. But the child was dead and she died of cadaver poisoning the, the dead body in her poisoned her blood and she died. Yeah. How old was she when she died? Rhea was 36. Okay. And uh, Peter remarried later and I saw his second wife mm -hmm. later on on my out of vacation one time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the two girls that survived yeah. There was uh, Tony and Annette, and Tony was named after my mom, uh, Antonia, uh, Tony, and Annette was named after Pete's mom, mm -hmm. uh, Antoinette. So uh, they went hand in hand to school on the weekday, of course, and this guy came in with the car, drunk, mounted the curb, hit Tony, dragged her, she got hooked on the car, and her sister, who was holding her hand, was standing there empty-handed, and Tony was being dragged, uh, I don't know how many feet, and that's where they picked her up and she was dead. So the one that was named after my mom died at an early age. I think she was well, around nine or so. And I've seen Annette for the first time because uh, I was in Canada when Annette was born. Uh, I was still home when Ria got married mm -hmm. in 53, right. but in 54 and uh, in 52. Ria got married in 52 because Mom was at the wedding, my mom, mm -hmm. and my mom died in, in 
uh, in uh, March, the 3rd of March, 1953. So it was in 1952 that, uh, that they got married. I have pictures from that. And uh, where was I? See? Oh, yeah, so Rhea and Pete, like, yeah, they, they got married, did they move out of Oplo or did they? No, no. Rhea stayed to work in the she, store. She worked in the store, right? Because, well, they, he had no kids yeah. and he had a job looking after the, uh, the, the, the coupons. They were still on. Mm -hmm. At the time, it took several years before the rationing stopped. Mm -hmm. And anyway, Ria was, uh, she had a diploma for, uh, you had to have diplomas for everything there. And she got the diploma. And at that time, right after the, shortly after the war, the law came in that somebody needed to have that diploma or you could not sell your dry goods in the store like gotcha. whatever you sell in the grocery store. So it was a, like a, a retailer diploma? Or? Yeah. yeah okay. And uh, 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 well, by, like she, she had to be able to tell by the look of the coffee bean mm -hmm. what brand it was, what, like uh, was it uh, Arab or whatever, like from whatever country. And uh, and the same with the grains, the, you have the different kinds of grains. You tell them apart, and oh, was a, that's, that's quite a tough uh, exam that she had right. to do. But she made it, and uh, so she kind of kept coming home. And uh, by then, of course, she got a wage that helped for her own family, mm -hmm. and then. Uh, Annie went in the store for a while, and then... Who's Annie? Annie is my second, okay. as my youngest uh, sister. Uh, she was my, the second girl. Okay, so she's second one born, so Ria and then... Yeah, Ria and then Annie. Okay. And uh, so she fell in, but then I don't know... I wasn't home, so... Uh, well, Ria was coming to run the store for a while, yeah. and uh, Annie was running the household because uh, Mom was uh, was sick. She had cancer, yeah. and uh, I think I already uh, told you that. How she died? Yeah. Uh, when she uh, when she was put behind that machine gun. When the when the, the the Germans were looking to those SS, they were looking for the road signs that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Dad, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, mom was uh, couldn't run the household. She was sick. Yeah, so Annie take care of the household. Then. And she was running the household, and uh, she worked like a horse. That that girl, she was just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how much? age gap between Annie and you. Rhea was 10 years. Uh, yeah, Annie was uh, 1923. So uh, there was eight years between Annie and me. Okay. A bit less, maybe, but uh, eight years. And uh, she, in 
during the war in 1943, I come out of the school and I see this bus. It's like a regular bus like you have in town. And I see that sitting in front of the house. And I thought, what the hell is the bus doing there? Because that was not one of the buses that would come by. And um, it had, it's just like a big uh, water tank that you, you know, like a 40 gallon tank, mm -hmm. except it was bigger than 40 gallon, sitting on the running board right behind the, the chauffeur's door. And it had a little lid on the bottom, and it goes open, up, open shut, open shut, open shut. And behind it, you could, when it opened, you could see the fire. And the Dutch invented some kind of a thing, and they opened the top, and they pour a bag of dry hardwood in there. And they close it up, let it burn, and somehow the gas that comes out of the wood they had to change the, the engine and whatnot, but the gas would go through the carburetor into the engine and took, 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 took. That's how the bus was running. My mom was in that bus because there was no other transportation to take her to the hospital in Boxmeer. Mm -hmm. And the bus, the bus was sitting there. My mom was in there on a stretcher. And that came to meet us when we came out of school, my brother Theo and I, and he said, well, Muka is really bad. She had an accident this morning. And uh, yeah, the stomach bleed, and she has to go to the hospital. And the doctor was here, and she has to go to the hospital right away. And he said, it looks bad, so you better be prepared that she's not gonna come home alive so you better say goodbye to mom and she's waiting for you everybody else had already gone through it but we were in school so we come in and she was actually smiling I come in hi mom how are you and then she smiled and she put her hand out and I held her hand and Stroked her hand and I said, Mom, what's the matter? Don't worry, I'll be okay. And uh, But I have to go to the hospital. And where is Theo? I said, Theo is right here, is right behind me. So Theo came over and he held Mom's hand and uh, she smiled at him. And then he broke down and he started to cry. And Mom says, Theo, don't worry, I'll be back. No, Mom, you're not going to be back. But sure, I'm going to be back. And But she stayed strong, even though I think the, she knew that uh, that was the end, or at least start. And uh, so we went out the back door of that bus, and Mom is gone, and everybody's sitting there with red eyes, because we all had to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. It was the end of the road. And the bus went tick 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 with that gas generator. And uh, oh, about a month or a couple of months later, mom came back. She had to stay in bed, but they took her to from there to the Canisius Hospital in Nijmegen. 
because the hospital in Boxmeer, they were not equipped to look after that. So that's where she went and when she came home and slowly was getting better. Uh, but she never really recovered. But she had days that she was up all day, except after the, the, the noon meal, she would always go to bed for an hour, always. And uh, in 1953, she died, so she got uh, 10 years, a bit less than 10 years, uh, more than what we were afraid it would be. So we were very lucky there. And then my after Annie came, you. Just a little bit more, Annie. So I know Annie took care of the, the house she, at the time. She took, and then yeah. Did she take over the bakery eventually? She, no, no, no. Oh. She, uh, she did deliver bread mm -hmm. for the bakery. Yeah. But meanwhile, somehow, things started to get better and better. And the, the three-wheeler we had for delivering bread mm -hmm. was getting too small. And the road that we had to go to, that was just to the, uh, the, the outside edge of the village. Mm -hmm. And then we had to have a private road going to the north side of the village and then all the, all the way back. Mm -hmm. And there were so many people uh, living there that were customers that uh, it would have taken two trips and you got to go all the way on the bike. Yeah. And then she had a girlfriend and she said, I was talking to my, my brother Jan and he said he was running the milk wagon. There was like four air tires uh, under this long wagon that they put the milk cans on to take to the dairy. But uh, at night or in the after, later afternoon, we don't need it for that. So you could use our horse and our wagon to deliver the bread if you want, you know, the, well, the, you want a couple loaves of bread or something, and then we can use that wagon. And Annie was crazy about animals, and she not already, being, uh, Peter being her girlfriend, she already knew the horse, and they, the horse knew her, and she would sit on the wagon in the front, and she would go and deliver the bread, and then the back was just loaded up with bread. They had uh, boards put on and a big uh, tarp over it uh, in case it rained or something. And uh, she would then make one round and she could deliver all the bread all around. And that was her job. And then one time, it was winter time and the days are shorter, and she came home and it was dark. And my dad was worried because, and rightly so, here is, uh, you know, in the village, uh, no traffic to speak of. And this girl is going with the horse and wagon, coming around and through the forest. That private road was through the forest and uh, owned by the guy uh, that owned the forest. And, and coming home. <laughs> and one time, 
she fell asleep because well, she put all kinds of hours in, and she's sitting there on the front at the backrest on the, on the seat, sound asleep, and she, she she held the reins, but she might as well not have, and the horse knew where to go and clock at the clock at the clock at the clock and. The horse went around the bend and around the bend and come home and sitting in the driveway. And when the wagon stopped, the the wheels were not making any noise. The click, click, click from the horse's hooves was not there. And then she woke up and she looked around. How did I get here? The horse went home on the driveway by itself. Mm. It's unbelievable. And so she went inside and then I think my brother had to take the the horse and the wagon home because dad didn't want her to, to go out at night again and the, well I must have fallen asleep. So anyway that that was Annie's job. Did she, uh, she ever get she got uh, during the war she got to go out with a guy who was hiding from the Germans. He was um, a draft dodger, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, they uh, they had a very nice relationship, and the war was over, and he goes back, and he's still on, but soon after the war, the Dutch wanted to go and reconquer the colony Indonesia. So he was of age and he was stuck in the uniform and sent to Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And well, they were going out together, they were boyfriend, girlfriend. And uh, he was writing letters, in fact I was writing letters to him while I was in the seminary. And I was asking him for some Indonesian plants, uh, I was uh, saving up leaves and flowers and dry them and then have the story because I got this book that can identify all the plants mm-hmm. and stuff. I have it upstairs still here. And uh, so I was e- uh, writing back and forth, not emailing, that <laughs> didn't exist. But uh, then he was discharged and Annie was in seventh heaven. Mm-hmm. And she, was, she went to Rotterdam to the harbor to greet him as he comes down the gangplank to go home because he did his stint in the army. And there was a woman from our village standing there and she also had a bouquet of flowers like my sister did for, uh, for her boyfriend and uh, his name was George. Shors, as they say it in Dutch. And as he comes down the gangplank and she is all excited and he walks straight into the arms of the woman with that other bouquet of flowers. And Annie stands there looking at it and Shors, Shors, and she waved. He never waved back, nothing. He walked away with her and he might have well have stabbed her. She was so distraught, comes home, sits there crying, and then tells dad the whole story. 
while he was in Indonesia, he was also writing with with him, and she was actually going out with George's uh, brother, Tone, who was a cop in our village. That is how my sister got to know George, George, because of Tone, and so he went to see his his brother. And uh, uh, apparently he did not marry her, but uh, my sister lost him, and she 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 never went out with anybody. She was she lost those two years that he was in Indonesia, mm -hmm. and she didn't go to any dances. She didn't go. She was home every Sunday afternoon, writing a letter to George. Mm -hmm. And then she would get the letter back, and everything was cozy. Uh, nothing was wrong with it on the surface, except when D-Day came. Uh, it was all over. He could have he could have told her, "I'm sorry, but I'm mad." Blah blah, and she could have stayed home. Yeah. But to let her go to Rotterdam was not next door, yeah. and uh, and then to to have to see him walk into the arms of the other woman. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Oh, it was horrible. And it still hurts when I see... She had red eyes all the time. She, uh, at the moment's notice, and she would start crying and crying and sit there, and you couldn't console her, and no matter what you said, and then she shake, run upstairs, sit there crying in the bedroom, and I, it still hurts when I think about it. But anyway, that is what happened. So she, she never married, never had kids. She had no, she never had children, but she eventually she went out with uh, a guy a few times, but uh, for whatever reason, it, and it doesn't have to work out, but it didn't. And then she was single for the longest time, and marriage was not for her. She had convinced herself yeah. uh, George was the only one that. Uh, Finally, she is delivering bread again, later on, and she comes on that long route, and the guy from the other bakery, and he has been here a, a couple of times, Tone Vloot, and he was a friend of my school friend, a brother of my school friend, Johan, but Tone was there, and he was short, a loaf of bread for this uh, widower who had a little house in the, at the edge of the forest. And he had to go all the way back to town to pick up a loaf of bread to, to bring to him because he, need, he ordered this loaf of bread, mm. so he had to get it. And, and he saw Annie and uh, his sister was good friends with my sister. Mm. So, and his sister Annie, and oh, my sister Annie, they're both Annies, but uh, uh, she, uh, he, Tone said to my sister, Annie, do you have any bread left over? Yeah, I think I have one or two loaves, and uh, because she always loaded a couple more, just in case somebody wants, but Tone didn't, because you got to, and on the bike sitting 
in, in front of you and you got to steer it all the time. So he said, and since he was just working there at that bakery, uh, he was delivering bread, that's all he did. Uh, he said, if you don't mind, he said, uh, this guy here, he needs a loaf of bread, but I don't have any left. And do you, if you have an extra one, then you bring it in there and then tell him that, tell him that I asked, asked you to, to bring it. And this man's name was Faviani. I tell you name, but anyway, he had a, he was a widow and he had a son who was uh, mentally challenged. But, uh, so Annie went up there and he said, uh, well, Tone asked me, he was out of bread, and he asked me if I would bring a loaf of bread because he couldn't bring one and he wouldn't have to come all the way back to bring it here. Oh, no, no, he says, that's fine. He says, as a matter of fact, I like you a lot better. <laughs> and uh, he said, how if you were to bring, when do you bring bread? Well, on Wednesday and Saturday. Well, then you come back on Saturday and bring me another loaf of bread. And uh, you sell biscuit, uh, rusks, and uh, yeah, well, maybe you could bring a couple of rolls because I'm all of that. And uh, fine, so I'll see you on Saturday. And Annie said, fine. So we gained a, a customer and uh, him being a widow and Annie being single mm -hmm. and somehow they hit it off. They were getting along great and uh, well, there, there was nothing wrong with it. Uh, nobody was losing and uh, they actually got married and then this happened when I was here so when I heard that and he got married yeah with Hank Faviani in the Pale in the Pale is that area of the village on the old side and it's a big district in, in the province it's called the Pale it's uh, all swampy and uh, all big heather fields and, and forest anyway uh, she married uh, Faviani and so I wrote my brother how could that be because uh, I think it must have fooled my dad Faviani is an Italian name and how Catholic can you get by except an Italian you know uh, they assumed they're all but he was a Protestant and my sister marrying a Protestant that would never fly with my dad. He, but of course, by that time, uh, dad looked at it a little bit different. Yeah. I, I guess. Uh, well, how old was your sister at the time? Um, that must have been in. I think in the mid '60s. So, and he was 23, 33. She must have been in the late 30s or early 40s, around that. Yeah. 
and uh, that was going fine, but then Faviani died, and she was a widow, a widow, and she was that for a couple of years, and somehow she met this guy, and he was a widower, and he had three daughters, and they started to go out together, and she married him because he was looking for somebody, not so much for a wife, but for a mother, kind of for his daughters, mm -hmm. and for somebody to run the household, mm -hmm. doing the cooking and what have you. And she, uh, and then when he died, uh, years later, they were married for quite a while. Uh, uh, then uh, she got a child's part, so she didn't inherit anything big, but, and that was, I think they, they determined that beforehand, the girls were getting whatever the estate was worth, say, a hundred bucks for simplicity. Uh, there's three girls and then my sister, so that's four. That means each gets 25, so she got the child's deal the child's part. And that's what she did. And she just carried on with life until a few years later she got, uh, she was that much older again, and she moved back. She was living in Gebert with this widower. And then when he died she moved back home to Oplo. And she got a, a little townhouse for the age, for the old people, for retired people, yeah. they could rent this little townhouse. The, the, the town had built a whole row, and that was around the old ruins of the castle that where the people lived that started the village of Oplo. And uh, they, uh, they had a castle later on, the, the castle was uh, ended up in ruins later on, and there was a moat around it. The moat is still there. And there was one tree that started to, or that was growing on that, on that little piece. But my sister was living right there until Oma went there, and she, for holidays, and she went to visit my sister. And then Annie said, well, I have, I'm out of sugar. I go to the neighbor and get some sugar. So, half an hour later, she's still not back with the sugar. And mom, she is sitting there. Where did, where did Annie go? What happened? And uh, so finally she did come back. And uh, so, uh, where have you been? Oh, uh, uh, where's the sugar? What sugar? Well, you said you were going to get some sugar. Oh, I forgot. I got to talking to whoever, and she forgot that my wife was actually there. And then she said, well, I think there is something wrong with her. And sure enough, they checked her out and Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So uh, my brother uh, had it, he was the, he was kind of looking after her interests and her finances and whatnot, Harry. 
and uh, he uh, uh, he had he had checked out by a doctor to certify yes she had Alzheimer's and she could not be on her own mm. because it was all gas and whatnot and if she leaves that on without a fame or whatever you're boof so she was put in a home where I saw her for the last time and then after she died and uh, but I visited her in that home and it was not the Annie that yeah. that I knew and she came with my kid brother to Canada one time when we were living in Whitby and uh, she was very normal there was nothing the matter with her uh, but uh, it's a Alzheimer's nasty. It's nasty. It's it's got to be a curse. Imagine if I had Alzheimer's, I wouldn't know bloody thing. And now I can relive mm. my life anytime I want, which I do, basically every every day. Yeah. How old was Annie when she passed away? She was. She died in nineteen. Uh, 1997, 1997, uh, 77, uh, I think she was 74, mm. and uh, I need a pencil to figure that out, but that she died in, in 1996. In 1997, because my brother Harry died in 1996, and he was looking after her interest, and his wife Min took over from Harry when Harry died, and Annie was still alive for a year, so Min was looking after her sister-in-law. That was, you know, that was sister-in-law, and uh, that was. And then, uh, and then when Annie died, of course that yeah. was the end of it. Yeah. But uh, that's how far. That's how far that went. Okay, actually, I'm gonna pause there because we've gone through your uh, your older two sisters, Rhea and Annie, and I'm looking at the time, and we're almost through an hour, so oh, it's probably oh, a good okay. spot to start here before we go off to something else. Well, then we'll pick up. Next we picked week. up on uh, you, my uh, oldest brother. Okay, he'll be the he'll be uh, next. He'll be on the block next week. Okay, okay. Thanks I again. hope it's next week. Yeah. Thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay.